This is the Ned Group Investments Podcast, a space where you can learn more about our fund managers, the funds they manage, as well as getting up-to-date and important developments affecting the investment world and how they might be relevant to you. Good morning, everybody. This is Trevor Garvin from Ned Group Investments here, and welcome to the Ned Group Multi-Manager first webinar. It's very exciting to be presenting to you today along with all our other presenters. And really, this is the first of our Multi-Manager Insights webinars. And our aim is to bring you these types of webinars three or four times a year, each time lasting for between one and a half to two hours. And we would like to bring you a range of fund managers that we have relationships with across our funds, uh, whether they be in our domestic fund range or our offshore fund range, that we think will be able to give you some interesting views, some thought leadership, inspiring stories, and, and much more. So what the idea is with these webinars as well is to, it's not about a product push or anything, it's purely about providing some insights, thought leadership, guidance to you guys, our clients, our investors, wealth managers, financial advisors, in order to help you with your clients and with your businesses. Just very briefly, in terms of Negroup Multibank, we're a team of nine people. We're located in Cape Town in London. We manage around about 30 billion rand African Rand denominated and US dollar and sterling uh, Irish domicile fund of we've been managing multi-managed funds for 60 years and have quite a long investment track record. So in terms of today's we hope to give you some comments and insights covering first of all domestic equities, domestic fixed income, as well as global equities, and then from Coronation, their house view in terms of valuations across all the various asset classes. And we're going to end off the, the morning with a presentation from Danny Deliberto from Ladles of Love, which is an inspiring story of how an NGO has been called to action during the COVID crisis. So our first speaker that I'm going to hand over to this morning is Rashad. Rashad Tayop is Portfolio Manager at ABAX and is the manager of the Ned Group Flexible Income Fund. Rashad joined ABAX in 2012, he's got over 16 years investment experience. In terms of this fund, the Flexible Income Fund, we as the multi-manager hold it across a number of our portfolios in the enhanced cash part of our portfolios. We've held it for over 10 years within the portfolio and it's been a consistently good performer. It's achieved 8.1% per annum for the last 10 years relative to the benchmark of 6.5%. So we're very happy with it. And we just thought it would be interesting for Rashad to give us his views in terms of currently the enhanced cash fixed income space so I'll hand over to you, Rashad. Thanks, Trevor. Uh, good morning, everyone. Uh, it's nice to be able to chat to everyone from the comfort of, our, of my home in what's a very interesting time. 
I think, you know, if you look at it from a South African perspective, the positive we can take from this is that uh, we've been used to living with these type of uncertainties and volatility for, long, uh, for, a, for a very long period of time. So if you look at the issues that the world is facing in terms of political instability, health crises, high unemployment, uh, racial tension, uh, budget concerns, I mean, we've been dealing with this for the last two decades. So uh, maybe we a little bit better in terms of an investment philosophical type of view to confront the issues that we that, that now the entire world is facing. So my job today is to talk about the outlook for fixed income and I'll start off if we move to the first slide to just highlight the fact that uh, for developed markets there actually is no income. Uh, so it's really just the fixed component which is relevant for them. So if you look at that slide what I've got here is the two-year yield. It's effectively the risk-free government bond yield for two of the major economies in the Western world. It's the United States and Germany. Uh, the blue line you can see Germany went to zero yields in around 2011. They stayed there for a few years and then by 2014 they went to negative yields. So the risk-free rate actually went negative in Germany as far back uh, as around six years ago. They have not had any income for a very long time. Uh, the US uh, obviously is the global reserve currency, the dollar is the reserve currency. They attempted to escape the debt trap that's engulfed Europe that Japan has been in for the last three decades and they started to try, they tried to normalize rates. They made it 200 basis points, they unwound the balance sheet by about 300 billion but unfortunately that uh, effectively stalled the economy, tanked the market and at the beginning of 2019 they had to reverse course. So they started hiking, they started cutting rates well before the COVID crisis and income began to disappear in the developed world at least a year ago. So, I mean, uh, Powell, I think he, he made a valiant attempt, but I think the combination of what was happening in terms of negative rates all around the world, pressure from the president, President Trump uh, wanting lower rates, I think it was just too much and eventually the US capitulated and now they're back at zero and it's forecast to remain at zero for a, a prolonged period of time. So for the developed world, there's no such thing as income. You have to take risk in order to get some sort of income. The reason for that is because of the excessive debt levels uh, throughout the world. So this just shows you the breakdown of global debt from the International Institute of Finance, the BIS IMF. You can see that between 1999, uh, the decade leading up to the financial crisis in 2009, you saw a massive increase in debt levels across the world. Leading up to the financial crisis, that was driven by households as well as the financial institutions. And then post-financial crisis, you saw governments as well as non-financial corporations increase their levels of debt. So we are we're in the unfortunate situation post-2009 that the world needed lower rates to stem a financial crisis. But unfortunately, the cure of lower rates has the effect of just encouraging more risk taking and an increase in debt buildup. And what we've seen, it's been very pronounced in the last five years that corporates have increased their leverage massively. And I mean, that's by design. You, you lower the cost of debt, you, you effectively telling people that money is cheap and they must borrow more of it. So unfortunately, we, we, we're in the situation where we are forced to keep rates low because any attempt to increase rates given this level of debt will just cause the economy to basically turn, turn downwards and we, we risk some sort of depression. 
So it's going to be a very difficult and volatile period going forward. You can see that South Africa is in a somewhat fortunate position that there is some yield left in the South African market. What I've got here is the South African, the, the, the repo rate, which is set by the Saab uh, in blue. And you can see they've cut rates dramatically. Uh, if we thought, uh, you know, a year ago that we'd be hit leading into a debt crisis and they'd managed to take rates down to a record low of 375, you know, I, we'd think you were crazy, but effectively the global situation has enabled them to cut rates extremely aggressively. Uh, the white line, so we're down to about 375 on the short end, uh, which means that in a money market type floating rate environment, we can deliver you about five, five and a half. Now, that's definitely not great from a historical perspective, but relative to what's happening in the rest of the world, you know, at least it's something. And if you do want some yield, I've got the white line here, which is the 10 year SA government bond yield. And you can see this for the last decade. It's it, it blew it blew up, uh, you know, in the in the crisis, but it's back at around the 9% level. Now, if you think in the context of a 4% inflation, that optically looks like a pretty decent return where you've got 9%, a 5% real yield. So a lot of people would make the case that you need SAGBs in uh, SA government bonds, get your 9%. Uh, in this type of environment, it, it's it's it, it's very enticing. But if you look at the next slide, you'll see that this nine percent yield comes with an unprecedented level of risk. So, in terms of solvency risk, South Africa, the risk has never been higher. We went into this COVID crisis with in a very bad position in terms of our debt levels. You can see here the, the National Treasury numbers from the, the history over the last few years, the 2017, 2018, 2019 budget. We've been increasing for the last 10 years from a, we had, we came from a level of debt to GDP from a, the mid twenties around a 25% debt to GDP in, in 2007, which was a phenomenally, it was a great position to be in. And we've allowed that debt to just increase uh, dramatically over the last decade. So. Firstly, the recovery from the financial crisis, but also, you know, eight or nine years of President Zuma, there was very little control over the government finances and that did just continue to escalate. And if you think back to uh, February when Minister Mbueni delivered the budget, it was just over three months ago, but in, in COVID time, it feels like a decade, uh, the, tw the 2018 budget from February, we were delivering a budget of deficit of 7% for this year and next year, and our debt trajectory was getting to up to 70% debt to GDP ratio over a three-year horizon. And we were very concerned about, about that type of debt trajectory at the time because, uh, you know, for an emerging market to be at a 70% debt to GDP ratio, it's a very precarious position to be in from a, from a solvency perspective. Now, that seems quite quaint given what's hit us as well as the rest of the world, because now we're going to be running a more than 10% budget deficit while GDP is actually falling. So we are now heading to over the over the next three and a half years out to 2024, we are likely heading to a 100% debt to GDP ratio, uh, which if you then add in the SOEs, which is another 20%, 120% debt to GDP ratio over medium term horizon. That is a precarious position to be in. And I think that while we were teetering close to the edge of a debt trap, my view is that we are now firmly within a debt trap. And 
the only comforting factor is that the rest of the world is 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 joined us in in that type of scenario so what are the scenarios for that type of situation effectively a debt trap means you cannot escape it you cannot grow unless you cut the level of debt how do you do that there's only two options firstly you can try and restructure and haircut the debt to reduce that debt burden or you can attempt to run a higher level of inflation in order to reduce the real value of debt over a period of time. Now, historically, that has been the path of least resistance, and that's the path that politicians generally uh, go for because it's less painful, it entails less dramatic decisions. So, unfortunately, I think once this initial crisis, if you move to the next slide, and the outlook for inflation in the shorter term, you can see that inflation has remained somewhat under control over the last few years between four and five percent. And the analysis that we've done shows that inflation is likely to dip quite severely in the near term, close to the two percent level. Partly that's due to a lack of demand, but that's also partly due to technical factors where it's very difficult to measure inflation when you're in a lockdown type scenario. So what happens is you measure a portion of the basket, 60, 65, two thirds of the basket you can measure, and then you have to scale that up to 100%. And that means that things like the petrol price, which has fallen quite dramatically, as was maybe 5% of the basket, it's going to become 8% of the basket, and it's going to have a very dramatic effect. So the things that you are going to be, you're going to be able to measure are going to be dramatically upweighted, and you're going to cause this significant near-term dip in inflation. But once those technical factors come through, and once the um, once the economics of the situation and the realization that we have to cut this debt, once that begins to come through, you're going to see the South African government as well as the rest of the world try and run a higher level of inflation in order to escape that debt trap. So what does that mean? If we move to the final slide, what does that mean in terms of portfolio construction? So we run a flexible income mandate and we've run with a philosophy of diversified alpha where we're looking for, and I think I've said this line a hundred times to everyone, we look for the broadest possible range of fixed income assets and strategies and we're trying to allocate the portfolio and that allocate the risk to different types of fixed income assets and strategies. We're not wedded to, you know, to any specific, uh, whether it's credit or money market, et cetera. We want to allocate where we can find the best return versus risk. And I think that diversification mindset is even more important given the level of uncertainty, the level of volatility that's going to materialize over the, over the next few years. I think the range of outcomes is dramatically wider than what it used to be. So we've got allocations to cash, floating rate notes, bonds, inflation linked bonds, preference shares, local convertible bonds, local property, offshore property, offshore money market, offshore convertible bonds and offshore bonds. And our job um, has always been to diversify and going forward, it's going to be even more of an emphasis on diversification and trying to uh, you know, balance the risk given the potential range of outcomes out there. And what we've done to date is, you know, in the, in the, in the, in the recent times is shift up, for example, the level of inflation-linked bonds that we've held in the portfolio. Uh, even in the near term, even though in the near term, 
the inflation carry is going to be quite low. We think structurally a portfolio like this needs a higher allocation to inflation in bonds and also begin to tick up the level of convertible bonds, be it domestically and offshore. Um, and now that we've seen some issues in terms of the credit market and credit spreads widening, we're seeing a few more opportunities to add some credit exposure where in the last few years we've been very conservative when spreads were very narrow. So we, we constantly look at the potential return versus the potential risk and focus on diversification. And that's going to be more important going forward. But I think the portfolio is now well placed, even though the, the base return, I mean, we cannot escape the fact that you know, we are in a low return environment and the repo rate is at record low levels. This portfolio in the last couple of years might have in some years delivered nine, even 10%. I'll be honest with you, it's extremely difficult to anticipate that type of return over the next year, over the next few years. But it's not our philosophy to chase return without uh, without understanding the level of risk we're taking. It's a return versus risk. So we can deliver a cash plus two to 3% return, control the risk and diversify as much as possible. I think we're going to be, do a good job for investors going forward. So that's my story. Diversification has always been the philosophy and I think it's more important than ever. Thank you. Rashad, thank you so much. One quick question. Could you perhaps just give a very brief comment a little bit about March, I guess, when we saw this massive spike in in the yields in South Africa, etc., and and just how you guys sort of rode through that, and and how I mean, was that very much a once in a in a decade or two event type of thing? So just just talk through as a fund manager managing the fund through that March spike in yield. I think if you look at that movement in the in the in the bond yield in March, I mean, as a percentage in percentage terms, uh, you know, I've I think I've sent the chart out to to your team. I don't have it in the slide pack, but in terms of it move in percentage terms, we hadn't seen a move like that since the Asian crisis of 2007, when yields were actually a lot higher. Even you know the taper tantrum of 2013, Nenegate. Uh, the move that we saw in March to the 10-year yield moving from about 880 to 13.5% at, it, at its peak. I mean, that is as dramatic a move as we've, we'd ever seen. And unfortunately, even when we had a relatively conservative, we felt a conservative position in bonds, 10% allocation, that we took quite a bit of pain on that position. We also found that spreads moved wider and we were very careful and made sure that we were marking our portfolio at accurate levels. We wanted to make sure that we, you know, being fair to in current as well as new investors. And because of that, we did have, you know, the biggest drawdown that we've seen. However, you know, in terms of where we, what we saw, the risk premium and how elevated that those risk premiums were on bonds, we actually took the, the opportunity to add a little bit of bonds around 2% of bonds at around the 13% level, which means that when the recovery came, we did benefit from that. So we, we weren't maybe as aggressive as one would have liked given the rally you've seen, which I think has surprised. I mean, the rally I think has been, the recovery has been as surprising as the sell-off, but you know we have to balance risk and return. And I presented South Africa's fiscal position uh, and how precarious that is. We are under no illusion that South Africa is in a very uh, difficult position in terms of the level of debt. 
and the structural allocation to bonds, if you told me even five, three years ago that bond yields, we were going to be able to buy, uh, you know, 10 year bonds at 12% plus yield, I would have said in the flexible income fund, let's go. We would just what I'm knowing now, 12% bond yield and 4, 4% inflation. I tell you, we would be at 25, 30% in SAGBs. Unfortunately, we could only get up to 12 or 13 because we do not believe that a, uh, that an allocation to bonds uh, above the, the, you know, the 15 odd percent level, given the risks and the downside risks out there is valid. So we have to be very careful about over allocating given the tail risks that are there in, in, in different asset classes. And as I said before, we focus on diversification and that SAGB asset class we are going to have an allocation, but the maximum is definitely, you, you know, you can't have a maximum allocation when a country has a debt to GDP of 25% and a country has a debt to GDP of 90%. You can't have the same allocation out there. So our maximum is going to be lower, but it's going to be a bit with a bit more flexibility and a focus on diversification. Great, Rashad. No, thank you. And I think, yeah, you highlight there the, the trade-offs and certainly, I guess, as you said, the balancing the act and decisions that yeah, active managers need to be making. So, Rashad, thank you very much for your insights and time. Negroup Collective Investments is an authorised collective investment scheme manager in terms of the Collective Investment Schemes Control Act. Negroup Investments does not provide advice on financial products and will only give you factual information. For further details on our funds and to view our terms and conditions, please visit negroupinvestments.co.za